Welcome to 2LO Rebooted, where we tell the stories of BBC design and engineering. I'm Bill Thompson, and in this edition, we've teamed up with the BBC User Experience and Design team to talk about something we're all familiar with, but often don't talk about, and that's failure. Earlier this year, the UX and D team ran an event called FailFest, where they discussed the importance of failure and shared examples of times when things didn't quite go to plan. It was a valuable exercise in honesty and prompted a wide debate about the ways in which failure can help a project and what can be learned from failing and being open about it. And the UX and D team wanted to continue sharing the idea of failure as a means of learning and not something that we should all fear. So I sat down with Jacek Bartikowski, Jane Murison and Colin Burns and asked them to revisit times when they failed and what they've taken away from those experiences. It was, as they say, illuminating, even if I could only reach Jane over a dodgy phone line. My name is Colin Burns and I'm the Chief Design Officer for BBC Design and Engineering. My name is Jane Murison and my job title is Head of User Experience and Design in the UXD team. I'm Jacek Barczykowski, uh, I'm a Head of Design uh, for UXD. My role is to lead a bunch of great designers to do excellent design work. If you're asking about how important the failure is on a path to success, I would definitely agree to that. I think successful people fail every single day. The reason for that is pretty maybe obvious. The world is a complex place and you know the problems we are dealing with are very, very complex. And so it's very ignorant for us to think that we will succeed whatever we do. The failure as a word has a negative meaning and, and many, many people don't necessarily want to talk about that they are failing because it's a negative thing. However, from my perspective, it's about the definition of, of failure. Failure is a learning, is a reflection, is, is what you basically do. And at some point, you, you realize that you, are, you have failed. You have not done something exactly as you wanted. And I think from, from that realization that you are actually able to translate it into something meaningful for yourself. And that's where, where I can say everybody fails every single day and every single day they can learn something new. It's a necessary part of learning. Uh, I think it is possible to learn things in theory, but um, theory only takes you so far because it's not usually kind of underpinned by sense memory or fear. And uh, doing something wrong gives you that sort of fear. So actually, for me, learning is all about um, remembering failures and hoping that doesn't happen again. Absolutely. I think that, that without failure, um, it, it's almost impossible to get the, the best success. And I think that, that, you know, failing early actually helps you succeed much sooner. So making prototypes happen as, as quickly as possible with as, as small as possible an investment, either of time or money, um, it, it is the secret. And I think that um, if you do enough of that, then you, you get one thing that seems to be working and, and then you can sort of incrementally improve that, if you like, to, to, get, to get to the point where you've got something that, that is the solution. I don't think that success is as visceral as... Um, as failure, when when you fail at something, you feel it in your bones. It's it's the emotional impact of that remains with you much longer than the kind of the facts of the case. I think you've got to uh, work out um, it's the level of failure which has a true impact on your psyche, but not so much that you end up in prison. Every single type of failure is meaningful for different reasons, for different purposes, and 
I prefer early failures and small and smart failures. However, sometimes you you almost like it's very good and cathartic to for people to to fail big because then like actually they can have a much more meaningful realization what they need to fix in their lives and what they need to do differently. Sometimes big failures are as important as the small ones. Uh, I prefer the, the 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 smaller ones, obviously. And I think the most important aspect to that is first thing you need to do is you need to realize that you have failed. And smaller failures are probably less easily to see than the big ones, obviously. Um, but if you're able to start realizing those smaller failures throughout the day, throughout the week, you know, day-to-day life, and I think then you're able to learn and grow much more quickly than you would normally do. So what are their own personal failures and the lessons they learned? A relatively recent one was um, I was trying to do a big project which did not come off last year. And um, the reason it failed was because I didn't take account of everyone. So I, I was uh, I, I was I was doing my usual user experience thing of developing empathy for people that I didn't understand very well, which in my case was program makers. And I went and did that reasonably well um, and, and really kind of got under the skin of how program makers tick. Um, but I forgot to look to my own colleagues and check what they how they were feeling. And I think my lack of empathy for them was probably what brought the project down because I, I kind of failed to convince um, my, my local colleagues in, in design and engineering that this was a good project to do. So I hadn't kind of accounted for how their values clashed with um, program makers' values. That project, as it was, couldn't happen. Um, so it's not, I mean, it's not a total, you know, it's not totally mortifying because I think we can use bits and that's pretty much what I'm doing now is I'm cannibalizing it and selling it off for parts. So um, the learning from that has sort of suffused into a whole bunch of different work streams that I'm working on. And some of it is just for my own practice, um, but some of it is in, in that project. Um, I can use bits of that project in other places and sort of attach them into other things that we're doing. I used to be part of a large-scale innovation and design consultancy, and uh, we had an assignment from one of the world's favourite airlines, and uh, we were asked to help them think about how we might remake their business class offer. They had had a lot of success with creating a lay-flat bed in first class, um, and they wondered how they could, you know, have that same sort of step change in their business class offer. And you know, there's, there's some really interesting sort of early failures that that, that we made. You know, um, it's an, it's extraordinary to. Be given um, the the CAD file for a Boeing 747. I mean, you know, every computer geek would love to have that data set. So we loaded that up into our systems. That took a while. Um, and then we began to sort of look at the floor plans, or the floor plates that we were designing, you know, seating and, and experiences for. Um, and early on, we were just sketching over these floor plates. Um, and it actually took a couple of days before we realized that the headroom at the edge of the floor plate is actually actually quite different to the headroom in the centre of the floor plate because we'd kind of forgotten that the fuselage curved and that, that so that was a really sort of you know early simple error that realised that we had to maybe sort of change our thinking a little bit. So the, the next thing that we did was we, we actually took some uh, foam core which is um, sort of advanced cardboard and we built a 10 foot section of the 747 uh, fuselage and we started almost doing like active brainstorming and we ended up calling it body storming where we were 
sort of playing and standing in the area and working in, in a sort of facsimile of the area that, that we were designing for. And that really helped us sort of make sense of the possibilities of that space. So, you know, we were using found objects, tables, chairs, sofas, things like that, um, uh, in that space. And, and that was a really, really productive set of, of failures. And that exploration really helped us um, sort of move things forward. One of the things that we discovered was, was probably one of my greatest failures, um, was that people are not square-shaped, obviously. Um, and and that, that sounds like a really silly thing to say, but uh, it's really easy when you're designing to sort of, uh, you know, create these kind of abstractions that, that are misleading. And so early on, we, we, we were drawing people as, as, you know, near square blobs. Of course, we're more triangle-shaped, but we're much broader at our shoulders than we are at our feet. And that if your task is to maximise the number of people that you can fit on a, an, an aircraft floor plate, what you find is that if you start turning half of that group um, through 180 degrees, um, you, you're actually able to nest people together in a much more um, effective uh, sort of uh, layout. And that, that was a real sort of um, discovery. Unfortunately, we didn't really back that idea. So, so you know, we, we tried it out and, and we discovered that, that we could fit many more people on, onto the floor plate doing that and then backed off it because we thought that no one would pay £3,000 to fly backwards through the air. We pitched our ideas to, to, to our client. We were in a competitive situation and we, we, and I actually know the other agency that pitched the winning idea and they'd made the same discovery, um, but they had backed that idea. And guess what? They won the contract. And they also, I discovered later from my client that when they did the analysis, that that, that, that simple leap, that, that leap of imagination, that leap of faith, we were able to make the leap of imagination, but we couldn't make the leap of faith. Um, to do that, essentially, you know, what was uh, giving the, the airline something in the order of fifteen or twenty percent more profit because clearly they can fly more people for the same cost, um, and that was a bit of a that was a bit of a bummer, really, Bill. I missed that one. The one I keep having in my mind is when I was at the university, so f- a long time ago. Great uh, opportunity to to understand that failure is important, and when you fail, not in a kind of business environment. I was working on a student project. It was for physical computing. We were uh, playing with Arduino and speakers, you know, stuff like that. Basically, we were hacking a speaker. When you move the speaker on a different place, it plays different music. Yeah. So rather than having play, pause controls, you just move the speaker to a different position. And um, we've made a prototype, as every design student would do. And we tested it. It worked properly. And then we used that prototype and built the entire solution um, that needed to scale and should work in a different environment with different speakers and the longer cables. And obviously, uh, as we were working towards the delivery of the project, and at the end of the project, there was an exhibition, uh, we realized that uh, we basically, uh, the, the prototype, the final kind of uh, version of the prototype did not, did not work because we didn't anticipate the, the, that there is a problems with the length of the cables and how the signal you know, goes into uh, the RFID and how long it will take for the signal to pass. And then uh, there is some physical constraints that we couldn't overcome. And then obviously did not, uh, nothing work. We only had one working speaker. And then uh, we just like look at it and then the, the, the teacher, the, the, the class tutor, when he gave us cr- uh, feedback, uh, you know, what's, what, went, what went well, what didn't went well. And then he said, 
you know, he looked at our solution and our technical solutions and he said, why you haven't been lazy, more lazy? I was like, and what do you mean by being more lazy? It's because you you just came, t you used your prototype as your final solution and then you, what you have, what you've learned from prototype is not what you needed to actually implement in the end. And then from my perspective, that was really a, a, a thought that stays with me until now because prototypes are not are for learning, they are not a final product. And then if you think about it, they are treated as a throwaway. And the reason why this is important for, for, for me is because at every stage of your, of your work, everything you do, everything can be almost like destroyed. Everything can be a, th a throwaway thing. Everything can be started from the beginning. And that's a really a motivating thought because you're not really invested in it. And you are allowing yourself to fail, fail because you know that what you are doing right now is you're learning something new that allows you to become better later on. I then asked whether UXD was somehow special, an area where failure was either more common or just more accepted. Is UXD a unique position to have this approach for, for failure? Um, I don't think it is. I think it's the process we follow allows us to do so much easier than in other disciplines. But every other discipline has come to a realization that they need to do something and fail and, 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 and test something quickly. Because going back to what I've said at the beginning, is that the world is a very complex place. The, sol the solutions we are designing and building are very complex. Therefore, nobody is able to spend as much time coming up with a final thing and everybody needs to come up with something smaller that they can learn from and then scale up. Um, so I don't think UX and D is, is unique. I think maybe we have it a bit more easier because of the, the deliverables, the, the things we are producing are not necessarily as time consuming in a way. And then we use different methods. We use you know prototyping tools, we use paper and that's something which is low investment, how output in what we learn from it, and then we can just throw it away because we know that this is not something that's going to be built. I think that it's very much at the heart of what's commonly called design thinking or a human-centered design process. I think that you know willingness to try things out, almost a kind of perverse desire to explore, um, means that you end up with many more ideas than you can actually you know use or, or or make. And so I think that it's less about my group and maybe more about my discipline or or the, the sort of the historical root of that discipline, which takes that that. Um, um, trying things out approach very much as as, as gospel. So um, I, I think that we're not that uncommon in terms of other UX and D groups. I think that we exist within a set of conditions within the BBC that that on the whole we're, we're able to to, to to deploy that methodology, if you like, um, to a greater or lesser extent. Um, I think the big challenge is how um, we sort of take the best of that thinking and combine it with the best of thinking in our maybe more sort of traditional creative processes like with our editorial colleagues and see where that gets us. I think that, that's a fascinating thing for us to be doing. I think we're closer to failure um, because um, what we've, you know, we're, we're, we're at the sharp end of deciding how things are going to be and what they're going to be. Um, so if we end up with all these kind of foggy projects, we're starting with all these kind of um, poorly formed briefs, which is as it should be, um, then we're going to, uh, we're going to end up seeing more things that are wrong rather than more things that are close to being right. 
Um, so I think we're, we're probably, it's probably more necessary for us to be comfortable with uh, failure as part of our process um, than, than some other people. Um, that being said, I think, I think it, it can be its own problem because, uh, you know, we might get more comfortable with it, but then we have to tell other people to be more comfortable with it too um, and help them understand where we're coming from. Otherwise, we could, could just look like arm-waving idiots. I don't think many people are really satisfied with the things that they do every single day. Maybe that's just a generalization. The way I get to understand what I need to do better and differently next time is, first of all, I, I have some expectations towards what, how do I, should I perform, what should I do? And then if that expectation is not necessarily, is not really matched, then I would, I would consider this what actually I could do differently. Obviously, the feedback from other people is really, really important. Uh, I think it's one of the most amazing thing that in current kind of environment in the BBC, you know, people almost like in the provide you that feedback, not because they want to communicate to you that you failed, it's because they want to communicate to you that you, you know, what you can do better next time and then almost like inspire you and empower you to do something else because different perspective you might have just one point of view, they will give you a different point of view, and that's really important. Thanks again to Colin Burns, Jane Murison, and Jacek Bajikowski. It's been great to work with the UX and D team on this special edition of 2LO Rebooted. We'll be back again with another DE download next week, but let me leave you with this from Jane. I just don't trust people who say they enjoy learning. And the reason why is this is because ultimately I, 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 I just completely believe that learning is the act of realizing you don't know something and then trying to do something about it so if it's not painful then i I'm, i don't understand you